Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast. Hosted by Brooke and Farron. Your personal growth matters. And we're here to help. Hey y'all, so this is episode 20 in our mini-series discussing the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. We're going to go over part one, which is titled What is Grit? and why it matters. So this covers the first chapters one through five in the book. So make sure you have your workbook handy or you get it later and let's do it. Don't have your workbook yet? No worries, man. We've linked it in the show notes for you. Okay, so what is grit? Remember, it's the power of passion and perseverance. So chapter one is called Showing Up, which is all about showing showing up. up. (laughs) Man, and it sounds... Yeah, I want to say... Jinx, pinch, poke, you owe me a Coke. <laughs> now the kids say, you're frozen or blackout or I don't know. I can't keep up. With but these young whippersnappers. Yes, I'll Google it later. <laughs> um, but yeah, showing up. Two words. Showing up. Uh, not hard to define, but sometimes one of the hardest things to do. What's great about the book is Angela has put story after story and research after research in the book, so we're not going to give away all the secrets, but we are going to pick out some here and there. So one of them we wanted to highlight was how she went to West Point at the military school, if you're not familiar with it, and she worked with the recruiters to figure out who was going to stay and who was going to quit, and she came up with a grit scale. They West Point does have their own scale, um, and I don't remember what it's called. But it wasn't accurate so right. we aren't even going to tell you the name there you go look it up on your own but it wasn't determining if they stayed or if they went so they couldn't figure out man what the heck is up with our system and so she comes in and says here is the grit scale and that was the best predictor they had ever seen and they still use the grit scale today at west point to figure out who's going to stay and who's going to go yeah a lot of people would leave um during a term called the beast And that was this grueling schedule that they had. Um, I couldn't do it. There's a description in the book, and they do it for many, many a days. And I like how it said that um, these highly qualified recruits were now being asked to do things they couldn't do yet over and over and over again. And I can't imagine how frustrating that is when you've been successful all your life and then at the top of your class and you're suddenly in a position where you're failing constantly. Right. It's Again, it goes back to who's going to stick it out because we are intentionally giving you a problem that you have no, not only do you not know how to solve it, you don't even know where to start. You don't know what to look for, really what you're blind, blind leading the blind. Let's try to figure this out together. But Picture that for day after day, hour after hour, and that's going to determine who stays and who goes. Right. So if you haven't been in a situation where you've struggled before, then you haven't had as much opportunity to practice problem solving. So the whole experience is uncomfortable, um, but then on top of it, you don't really know where to start and what methods to try and execute, and probably not comfortable with trying something if you don't know it's going to work for sure. Right. So there's this program called Destination Imagination. It was formerly called Odyssey of the Mind. I don't know if y'all had it. Oh, yeah, in Nebraska. You did. Even. Yes. yes. Okay, so it's a world competition, and uh, there are a bunch of schools who do it. So if you're doing that, yay, get your kids in it immediately. But it was things like that just 
you go in, you walk into a, a problem, and they don't give you any help. They just give you some parameters. So it was like, oh, well, does the rule explicitly say this? No? Then you can do it. Mm-hmm. So you had to figure out loophole after loophole. And it's kids who are very young, yeah. elementary age kids yeah. all the way up to high school, um, trying to solve these problems, given no guidance, just some sort of rule or two to solve a problem. I love it. So you did you do it? I did, and I, whatever part of the competition we entered, we were um, in, supposed to come up with a skit, mm-hmm. and same thing like you said, I think the skit had to address a problem, and then we were judged on the creativity of the solution, but the presentation was in the form of a skit. Mm-hmm. You also had to have like a certain amount of props, and yes. a prop that could transform into another part prop or part of your scene, and... I remember you have like a coach, yes. but they don't tell you what to do. That's the whole thing. They just kind of mm-hmm. are there to give you guidance or if you're using a box cutter as a yes. second grader. <laughs> don't die, but I, you have to cut this. I can't help you. And I just remember them being like, are you sure you don't want to participate in this skit? And I was like, I'm sure <laughs> I only want to build and paint scenery. Oh, that's um, funny. Paint but like your mama. It was really fun. I got the little pins. They're like you get pins at like Disney World yes. or mm-hmm. like that go on you your like mixers nerds. and you traded. Uh, no, people try to trade with me, and I was oh, like, snap. I picked these Odyssey of the Mind pins out. I think I still have them. Thanks. You're Mom. that guy who would never trade with me. Thanks. No, I know Lord what I like. I know what I like. So there was one Odyssey of the Mind that we did, or now it's Di, and it was with. Several of my friends I'm still friends with today, and each of us had a specific way we spoke in our skit. Like, Leah sang. I spoke in idioms only. Another person spoke in rhyming couplets. Another person spoke as fast as they could. So each of us did a different sort of way to speak. So that was fun. How do you speak only in idioms? Oh, one of them was like, ah, I'm such an idiom. And so (laughs) (laughs) it helped jog the memory of people who hadn't heard idioms in a long time to realize oh you're talking in idioms well in those situations (laughs) and and situations (laughs) um that they observed at the beast training um at west point um they observed that what was more important than your credentials um and all your successes was having a never give up attitude which again ties back into showing up um, we'll get to this more in a second, but it's not showing up one day or the first day. It's continuing to show up with consistency and even when it sucks. So mm-hmm. we'll get to that more in just a bit. Yes, man. It just makes me think of all the pep talks that you watch before a game and all the motivational speakers running through your head. Like, yeah, how it's how bad do you want to succeed? It's you need to succeed as bad as you want to breathe. That's how much you want to succeed. I love sports movies when they give the pep talks. And Any given Sunday. <laughs> and especially at like sporting events when they'll play just a clip on the Jumbotron. It makes me want to oh, yeah. get out there. Yes, yeah, so i got goosebumps on my forehead right now. I'm so, pumped up. I'm too pumped up right now. I need to calm down. Please settle down. I'm sorry. I'll get there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so as an audience member, you might be thinking, okay, great. That works with you know people in the military, but... Uh, what about just little old me? Well, you're not just little old you, first of all. But mm-hmm. what I love about this book, throughout the whole book, is um, Angela Duckworth gives examples of people through all walks of life, different ages. And so um, she goes on to talk about business 
people that have had a lot of success. And I loved how it said that they were satisfied with being unsatisfied, that they found more value in the chase, um, that that was gratifying for them. But she ends it by saying they had determination, right? They had the show up, but they also had direction. Yeah, it's not like you're walking out there like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Like it's the, I know my tasks, I got to get out there and do it, and I'm going to do it every day. And that's what I'm going to do, hour after hour, just like the West Point guys. Uh, but like you were saying, Farron, she does talk about all different careers, a potter, a comic artist, I mean, just every mom's just addressing all of those different careers. And you might not realize that you're working on grit right now. Um, are you in a job you don't like, but you still show up every day? Are you waking up at 3 a.m. to feed a baby? All of that <laughs> has ties in with grit. Yep. And uh, as we mentioned with the title, this is where she really starts pointing out that there's um, two elements. There's perseverance and passion. And again, we'll dive into those more a bit later. Another one of the anecdotes we wanted to highlight was the spelling bee. She talks about spelling bee champions. And she sent out surveys and collected a lot of research and, they, and it boils down to the same things. The grittier kids are the ones that studied more. They showed up to study hours, all like eight hours on a Saturday. Yeah. And they, they're the ones, her grit scale predicted who was going to win every time. What? Yeah, that's amazingly accurate. I mean, as a former coach, that makes me think that I wish I had this, that I could go back and be like, here's the grit scale. Yeah. Take it for fun. (laughs) Welcome to tryouts. I hope you brought a pencil. (laughs) Yes. Um, She also mentioned with the spelling bee that it was the kids that had competed in more spelling bees. So back to like at West Point, these were people that didn't have a lot of experience with uh, failure or not getting something very quickly, yet alone probably the first time. So again, in this situation, it was, again, having a lot of experience and exposure and being in that, what I would think is a stressful setting high setting a high pressure setting for sure yeah so experience is key uh we did not go to west point but we did (laughs) play college soccer like it no i'm just kidding (laughs) so we we had fall camp ours equated to four a days plus meetings and such Uh, but a lot of it is you see people dropping like flies and they don't make it through the two or three weeks and that's where you know like okay the people who survived (laughs) get to play yeah. You get to be a part. And all you got to do is just keep showing up. Slow is better than not. The other part of it, though, was showing up before you got to fall camp. Yes. The people that worked out multiple times and put their bodies through that stress, maybe not to that extreme, but prepared their bodies in such a way. Um, they went further with like avoiding injuries. Um, the more shape in shape you are, that helps you mentally because... Mm-hmm. You're, everyone's going to get tired, but if you've been through tough workouts, you know you can get through them again. Well, and then you can also do your research. Like, we knew going into it, you had to do the beep test, as many pushes as you could in a minute, as many sit-ups as you could in a minute. So you know how many, like, I would have been able to crank out all the push-ups. That's, I remember specifically working on push-ups. Do I work on push-ups now? No. Mine I think I did my time. Test. <laughs> yes. yes, you you excelled at the beep test. I was like, you go cross-country girl. Yeah. I'll cheer you on. Push-ups, <laughs> like three. Every year we had to improve by one. So I wasn't trying to be, you know, a smart aleck. But, <laughs> you know, 
I'd do like 12. And then I was like, how am I ever going to do 13? Oh, man. Gosh, that was me with the beep test. I'm like, y'all, this is, I will do my best. <laughs> Lord help it. So, yeah, not West Point, but, man, just even showing up. You made a commitment. Show up. All right, so chapter two is distracted by talent. So Angela Duckworth, she had experience in lots of different jobs. She was in the corporate world. She worked at the McKinsey Company, which is a global management consulting firm, where if someone, some company couldn't solve a problem, they hired a McKinsey team, and the McKinsey staff went out there, solved the unsolvable problem, and carried on. So she worked for them, so she's kind of smart. Remember, she won that MacArthur Genius Award, so keep that in mind. She also worked at an inner school, inner city school, and she worked there. She also worked at an elite school as well in the high school realm. So she's seen it all, done it all, and all of her uh, research keeps saying the same thing. Uh, and also people are distracted by talent. They don't see the effort there. They just see the results. And what she noticed in her students um, was the same thing that uh, she became more intrigued by effort than kids that came to her, again, with a stellar resume and a history of uh, talent. Then she goes in and talks about Darwin, who is obviously a very successful scientist, and um, he's well known for survival of the fittest. Um, his belief was that uh, hard work um, was more important than intellectual ability, which I thought was very interesting. And Duckworth also found this in some of her results, too. Just watching the kids, it depended on the length of struggle. So some kids were given an impossible math problem, and she could determine who was the grittiest by who worked the longest. Did you, they, She gave them an hour, and whoever kept working the full hour was the grittier person than the person who gave up five minutes after, oh, I'm never going to solve this. Yeah. Even Darwin's colleagues noted that um, part of his success was these questions that they all had, he would continue thinking about them and working on them long after everyone else had given up. And he said, you know, people's natural response when they face a challenge is this, oh, I'll figure it out later, which we kind of know means... It might never happen. Right. If not now, then when? Like when I do the laundry and I <laughs> fold it and it's on the couch and I say, I'm going to sit down for like five minutes and I'll put it away later. And then it's we just pick clothes off of there all week and it never really gets put away. John Maxwell in our first miniseries talks about the power of later and how that can just totally deflate all of your motivation and your growth. I'll do it later. I'll work out later. I'll... Work on myself later. Yeah. So good, good intentions, and you probably have great reasons for it, and you can debate it and sell it to anybody. But at the end of the day, it probably isn't going to happen. Right. There's also something called the naturalness bias. So that's a natural a naturalness bias conveys that there's less coaching or teaching or monitoring for the person, and they're just naturally that way. Like, oh, man, he swims like a fish. When really, it's because he spent hours in the pool over and over and over with deliberate practice on getting better. So, of course, he swims like a fish. He's been He's gotten his 10,000 hours in it. Yeah, so this came up when looking at people to hire or recruiting people for a team that the people doing the interviewing and hiring 
had um, a bias towards hiring people that described their abilities as a talent rather than those that described it as the result of really hard work. Um, And I think some of this comes from a misconception of, oh, well, if they're talented, then I won't have to monitor or put as much work in as their supervisor. Right. Um, And that's not exactly true. I was recently listening to a podcast interview. Someone was interviewing someone else on how to hire for your team. And the interviewee talked about how, yes, a resume can look amazing, and I have 20 resumes for this one spot, and they all look great. She's going to bring them in and ask about, what do you love? What do you like to do when you're not at work? Tell me about your life. And she said it's easier for her to train a skill set, like a task or some sort of training that they go through, than to train character development. Mm -hmm. So you want to hire the person with the best character. We um, coached a four-year-old soccer team this season. (laughs) And it's that whole you can lead a horse to water but can't make him drink. I mean, at this age, I can't make them want to play soccer. If they want to pick the grass, they're going to they're gonna pick the grass. Right. And so, again, I can teach them soccer and have the most perfect drills and be who I need to be as a coach and speak to them. But So I can teach them that, but I can't teach them to want to participate, want to push themselves, um, and want to get better. The so. great thing is, is the next episode talks about intrinsic motivation and how to get yourself gritty. Mm-hmm. So you can help your tiny humans there. You can only control yourself. Control you can't you control. Can. Yes. Lord help it. Oh, <laughs> so based off of the talent, so there was this company several years back, and they did something called Rank and Yank. So at the end of each quarter, they would rank the top producers from top to bottom, and the bottom 15% they fired. Oh, my Doesn't gosh. matter if... If you are a hard worker, if you're a great person, if you were right on the border and one guy made one more dollar than you did, you were immediately fired, no questions asked. So the the rank and yank is what the company did. And guess who that was? Who? Brooke? Enron. Dun, dun, dun. So clearly that worked. (laughs) So keep in mind, it's not all about... There's more to it than numbers. There's remember there are humans behind those numbers, and good golly, you can teach you can teach a skill. You cannot teach work ethic. So for those that don't know the Enron story, can you summarize it briefly for us? Sure. So at the end of 2001, it was revealed that Enron's reported financial condition was sustained by institutionalized, systematic, and creatively planned accounting fraud. Now it's it's the Enron scandal. So they have since become a well-known example of willful corporate fraud and corruption. So Sounds top, lovely. Sounds like a top-down issue. Well, it kind of seems, too, like when you put those conditions on people, they're trying to keep their jobs. Right. And so they're going to find possibly alternative ways to do that. And if you're basing it off of money, <sighs> of course there's going to be fraud because people want to keep their jobs. So it all goes back to... Everybody everybody has their price, I guess. So make sure you're pushing the right buttons. Yeah, Push the you, effort button. The, the effort button. Yeah, they chose to measure talent by with a monetary value. You're right. Whenever we should be man, monitoring effort and work ethic and grit, all those things. Yes. Lord help it. 
So is talent a bad thing? And the answer is no. Talent is not a bad thing. Um, but we do need to do the mind sh- mind shift set of mindset shift. I'll say that right. I almost oh, you did. <laughs> I got pretty close with an accidental. Anyway, this is a G-rated podcast. Anyway, this is all you can do to who knows what you can do. So if you're like, oh, you're so talented, you should always be pushing yourself and others. Like, okay, so what can you do next? That's great. What else can you do? Yep, what shifting the focus from mm-hmm. talent to the effort is key. It's almost like talent is like beauty. It fades with age. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, very true. <laughs> oh, help it. Except men always age better. I don't get it. Like if you look at guys when they're 20 and then look at them when they're 40, you're like, oh. I don't like old people. You're right. I'm looking forward to a subject change here. Good. Okay. So <laughs> we can move on to the next chapter. Great segue, Farron. So effort <laughs> counts twice. This is the formula that Angela Duckworth came up with. And so it basically is the grit formula. How do you measure grit? And it's effort counts twice. And we'll talk about that now. And for those of you playing along at home, it is chapter three. So as the title alludes, effort counts twice. Um, I like how the book explains that we often see the result and we don't look at the effort that went into that result. Um, So uh, Dave Burgess, he's an author, the author of Teach Like a Pirate. So my fellow educators out there might be familiar with him. And I had the opportunity to hear him speak. And he talks about how teachers, when he shares his um, strategies and ideas, and worked with teams, he hates it, but he gets it all the time where people say, well, that I can't do it, but it's just easy for you. And he goes off on this tangent of like, easy for me. Uh, the years I've spent developing these methods means it's easier for me than it would be for you to um, incorporate the same lessons and ideas into your instruction. And so um, it he talks about how he would focus on one thing at a time and then add it to his toolbox. Go find something else, focus on that. And now he has a book with a bajillion great ideas, but now people see the end result and they're just starting the beginning of their race and trying to compare apples to bananas. Right. (laughs) And that just speaks into mentorship. Like, your mentor, find a good mentor. We talk about that in the Personal Growth miniseries. And they, just like Dave Burgess, he has had all these tools he's put together and he's given this gift to you. Mm-hmm. So instead of you reinventing the wheel, you take this gift and you add to it and then you pass it along. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. That's how generational mentorship should work. So, sorry, tangent, no. just wanted to throw that in there. I love your tangents. But, uh, Dan Chambliss, so he's all throughout this book, too. Um, He's a sociologist, and he does research, and his results are in here, too. But he says greatness is doable. It's really just dozens of small skills or activities just put together. And that just screams to us, daily routines, daily discipline. It kind of ties back to showing up, but not showing up the first day or the first week, but with consistency and with now we're adding the word effort. So you can't just show up and have a bad attitude and not try very hard. you got to actually be there, step one. But now it's talking about putting the effort in 
again with consistency and um I like direction still we talked about that earlier having a goal in mind so I know we've said this at some point in a previous podcast so let's take the example of two people have worked 20 years you've worked 20 years I've worked 20 years but instead of me growing and I just be present and I'm not showing up with the effort I have year one of experience 20 different times where right. I'm struggling every time, not showing up like I could be. Whereas you, you have 20 actual years of experience. So there's the difference again. Like it's beyond just showing up. It's actually putting forth the effort with the direction in mind. To re-say what you said too, it's like if you did, if you were again a teacher, whatever profession, and you did the same thing every day, every year, year after year, you would have, again, like you said, 20 first year experiences but when you learn from your first year and plan and try different things each year mm-hmm. you're actually growing and have 20 different years of experience right what are we doing if we're not trying to do better gosh that just doesn't even sound like something who I wants to repeat to year one 20 times 25 times no thanks i'd rather improve and make it less stress on myself yeah if you talk to older people not like us, you know, but a few years older than us, a lot of times, you know, it's like, would you ever want to go back? And I was like, no, I like there were pros and cons, but I've learned so much. I don't want to have to learn those life lessons again or, right. oh, I wouldn't, I don't want to go through the newborn phase again. Oh God, please no. <laughs> Uh-oh, you said it on the air, so... I don't know. Tune in nine months from now. (laughs) Start praying right now. Oh, Lord. So, again, another part in the book, it talks about mythologizing natural talent lets us off the hook. And if we think being genius is like being a magical thing, then we don't even compare ourselves. We're not even giving ourselves the chance. So, like, oh, man, this person is so great and so awesome. I could never be like them. When they're a human, too, they had to get from A to B just like you have to get from A to B. Yeah, so it's kind of like um, when you see someone that does really well and you say, oh, well, they do, they have their master's degree, so, and I don't, so therefore I'm not expected to reach such levels or, um, you know, just again, calling them a genius, like, oh, well, everyone knows that they're practically a genius, but you're not seeing what all went in to get them to that level and a lot of what they've done are things that you can do too a lot of the effort you put in right to go along with the college analogy so my mom growing up she always said college proves something it proves that you can do stuff and I didn't really put it together until my adult life like attending college for four years completing something when it was challenging it's not just a piece of paper it's four years of hard work and dedication So, again, now I get it, Mom, why four years of college proves something or sticking it out with your journeyman license or sticking it out in trade school. All of that shows going through gritty stuff, completing a task, and now you have something to build on. Like you were saying, fair tools in your toolbox. I like earlier how you talked about um, this image of Olympians on a podium. Mm Mm-hmm. 
You go for it. Okay, so I, I saw this little comic. It's not a comic strip. It's just an image. I saw it somewhere. I don't know where. We'll, we'll find it and we'll put it in the show notes. But it's an Olympian standing on the podium, like all excited that they won. But the point of view is from behind the Olympian facing out into the cheering audience. So from the audience perspective, they see the first place, the trophy, the smile. But on the other side of the podium, written on the podium is 5 a.m. workout, getting up and grinding, eating healthy, uh, day-to-day routine and discipline. So it was all those building blocks that added up to the first place. So that's such a mindset shift going from, oh, wow, this person is so awesome. They're the greatest in the world. But have you seen what they've done? Have you seen their their day? A lot of people are like, how are they so, so successful? What's their daily or what do they do? And it's, I wake up at this time. I do this thing. I have this routine. I put forth the effort day after day after day after day, beating on your craft. Tony Robbins interviewed um, Michael Phelps and Sean exactly White. what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yes. And they just talked about how people do. They they look at them as, oh, they're just talented or got lucky or, you know, this God-given gift, which is not wrong, but that... Um, Golly, if they saw their training schedule and everything that went into it, um, you wouldn't be surprised or shocked by their performance. Again, not only what they're doing, but the effort they're putting into it and the passion they have for their sports. So um, if there's anybody that you admire besides Brooke and I, oh, yeah. <laughs> you might see if you can Google and search like their whether it's their training or their schooling or... Um, maybe a resume if it's in the business world where did they work and how did they you know get to where they are today so I just recently listened to a podcast it's Second Life the Christina Tosi episode so Second Life she interviews the host interviews people on their second life like their second job or what they do life after their whatever so Christina Tosi is the founder CEO all that jazz of Milk Bar and her the episode just talks about her grinding for years, and that's where she is. And she talks about it specifically. Like, I didn't just magic my way here. It was working, going to school all day, working all night, doing that for years, years and years and years, starting from the bottom, working up every time I did a career shift or I moved to a different level. So, again, back to the grind. People are looking at the highlight reel. They're not looking at what it took to put the movie together. And what we've talked about in some of our other book studies is self-esteem, and so if you're comparing yourself and where you're at to somebody who's, like, success and made it, um, it's going to look like they have something that you don't have. So by looking at where people have gone and where they started and what they did to get to where they are might help put things back in perspective and even give you that self-esteem that you can do it too. Right, so if you're having any of those thoughts in your head like, oh, I could never be blah, 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 or I would never be able to do this, 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 check yourself. Check your tech. <laughs> but check yourself and realize that they're people too. Everybody started somewhere. It's kind of like when you start working out for the first time, you have a workout partner and you're struggling and they're not. And they're like, well, this is your first time doing it this way. What were you expecting? You weren't going to magic your way to this. It takes time. Speaking of workout, oh, have gosh. you heard that Will Smith speech about yes. the treadmill? Yes. It is so good. So I don't even remember who he's interviewing, who's interviewing him, but yeah. we'll, we'll link it. But it is so good because he talks about 
I will always win on a treadmill. Two things are going to happen. Either you're getting off the treadmill or I'm going to die. And he said, that's the difference. That's all it takes is I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. And he gives this pumped up speech and it's, I love it. I like too that he talks about um, people quit before the punishment becomes too much. And what I took from that is we kind of have our own idea of our limits, but we don't actually test them. Right. We stop before we get to the point that we think we're going to break. Right. And if we would just keep going, we might surprise ourselves with just how far we go. Now, don't go die on a treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we are not saying. That's what Will Smith will do. Yes. We're not encouraging you to die. And that's the power of a good coach, too. They're going to get you to your breaking point, and then little by little, you're going to get past your perceived point of breaking. So trust your coaches. Make sure you get a good coach, and you trust them, because they're going and expect to be challenged. Otherwise, why why did you pick them? (laughs) They're coaching you. Sometimes... You're like, they don't know me. They don't know what my capabilities are. You know, and you some I've seen players quit when they do get pushed. And that coach really does know what they can do. And so maybe you've been in a situation. Um, my favorite is my daughter's jumping off a diving board that's like two feet above the water. Mm-hmm. And I know that if they jump off, they're going to be fine. Um, but they get up there and they're scared and they get off. And then they're like, no, I'll do it. And then they get off. Mm -hmm. And then the second that they take that risk and jump, they're like, oh, that's it. Like, I'm going to do this a thousand million times. Right. And that builds confidence. Again, having a trusted friend that, you know, knows you, um, a lot of times they can encourage you to test those limits. So if you don't have a mentor per se, um, your friends also know your capabilities and can tell you. I know you can do this. Do it. Take yeah. that leap of faith. And if you fail, I've got your back. Yes, ma'am. Good Lord. How are we going to grow if we're not willing to get out of our comfort zone and mess up? Yeah. Goodness. As yeah. I'm speaking to myself, the perfectionist. Yes. <laughs> That's really just self-talk. Don't yeah. worry about it. And if you mess up, we'll go to Chick-fil-A. It'll make everything yes. better. So Angela Duckworth's calculation, her formula, it's talent times effort equals skill. And then you take that. Skill times effort equals achievement. So that talent only counts once, whereas the effort counts twice. So that's where she's getting that formula from. And we'll post a visual in the show notes so you can kind of see it. If you're not a mathematician. (laughs) I am not. Which is why we both will put that in the show notes, because we are not the math. I do like Sudoku's. Yes, (laughs) I agree with that. I like with what the formula you just shared, what it's showing is, man, um, people that have a lot of skill but don't put forth the effort. Yes. And so, man, you have these high expectations for people and you don't see them meeting their potential because they're missing the effort piece. I like, too, that if you are coming to the table not with much skill, that you can still develop skill while maintaining effort and still achieve Right. You can always learn things. Your brain is plastic. It can change. Yay. So in the book, she also talks about a potter. His name's Mackenzie. And he did a bunch of different art things and finally found his niche of pottery. And in the interview, he said, you know, the first 10,000 pots are difficult and then it gets easier. So 
If you need some encouragement, just do something 10,000 times. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but not just repeat. So typically, y'all, y'all may have heard the slight edge. You need your 10,000 hours, which sort of equates to 10 years. So think... You've got to think people who've been doing stuff like this for a decade, they're going to be light years ahead of you. But, again, take their toolbox and work your way up. Level up. Kind of get on their level. Use their toolbox and then go from there. I heard a really interesting quote the other day. Someone just said it. so And they didn't tell me who they were quoting. Anonymous. Anonymous. <laughs> I need to meet him someday. Yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff. Tons. Especially on the internet. Um, but him and it, Abe Lincoln, right? Dang, maybe it was Abe Lincoln. <laughs> We're gonna go with either Abe Lincoln or Shel Silverstein. For so, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that guy in a long time. Man, he's got some good ones. Um, but it said that your battles will be someone else's roadmap. Yes. And so, um, oh, say it again. <laughs> so I don't know for if the I people can. in the back. <laughs> Your battles will be someone else's roadmap. And so, again, if you admire someone in the field that you're in or your passions are in, a lot of times they're welcome to share. All their information is out there. So I think sometimes we stop because we're afraid of, what if I find out it is something I can do? Mm -hmm. Dang. Now i got to work. Then what? Yeah. Yeah. Grit. That's what. It's almost like... You are, we will be lifting you up so you can achieve, and then you pull the person underneath you up and put them on your shoulders, and it's this constant chain of we're building each other up. Yeah. Um, it, I'm sure you guys have heard the quote about the extra mile is never crowded. And again, we put these genius and success and talented people on a pedestal, which that's great, um, but we put them up there because we think that they have something that we can't obtain. And so when that extra mile is never crowded, why not everyone's that successful? Again, it it's going the extra, doing mm-hmm. more. Um, if you're doing the same thing every day and expecting a different result, that is the definition of insanity. Right. Um, you you had a post about the extra mile when y'all were on the beach this past summer. And it's just so funny how the extra mile theory manifests itself in all aspects of life. Like you guys went the literal extra mile <laughs> to go to a less crowded beach. Yeah. Because so many people stopped because they just wanted to get to the beach. They want to be there now. Want to get there. Want to get out. Whenever y'all are like, you know what? Let's just drive a little bit farther down the road and we will have a better situation. Yep. So it's almost like... You just need to keep going. Don't give up. It sounds like a good idea until you got to pack up and drag the sandy wagon full <laughs> of stuff back. Extra yes. grit. Sand in places you don't want sand. <laughs> but we did it. And there's pictures to prove it. Yes, look at you being all gritty, literally. <laughs> oh, and I don't know why we always say literally with a British accent. And I think it's because of our college coach. Yeah. Because he would say literally. So... That's the only way I like to pronounce it now. It sounds better that way. Yeah, it's official. There we go. All right, we're going to end with this quote for this chapter. You come by talent naturally. Skill is what you spend your life developing through hard work. So again, your whole life, you're going to develop it. Acquire skills. Put in the effort. The talent is what you have as a starting point. Whether you have some skill or you have some talent or no talent, 
you can develop the skill. 100%. All right, chapter four. How gritty are you? And this is the grit scale chapter. This was what we were talking about with West Point, where Angela Duckworth came in, developed the grit scale, gave it to the West Point guys. She does this all over, all over the place, all over the nation slash world. She has different people who have the grit scale. And guess what? If you get your book, you get a copy of the grit scale because it's on the pages, which is great. And you can actually test yourself. So looking at the grit scale, it's a grid. It has 10 items down the side and across the top. It's not like me at all. Not much like me. Somewhat like me. Most like me. Very much like me. Kind of like a Likert scale. Mm-hmm. Likert, Likert, Likert. Yeah, either or. Tomato, tomato. Thank you for affirming. All the time. Yes. Okay, so Farron, we're going to, what are we going to do for these guys? Well, I thought it would be neat to share maybe an area on the grit scale um, in the book that we maybe scored not so well on. Yeah. An area that we could be maybe more gritty. Right. So one of the descriptions says, New ideas and projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. And I would imagine that if you are gritty, then you stick to your current projects and see them through before moving on. Um, But I get really excited when I learn something new uh, because, again, I can defend this reason all day long. Um, They, I find value in them. I know people that could help. And man, if I could do my current projects and this one, that would be even more awesome. But the reality is I start looking into the new idea and then may or may not get back to the other one or I find myself very overwhelmed trying to do it all. Right. So. That's, that's how I feel with mine too. It's a constant checks and balances. So some days I do great at this and some days I don't. So mine is... I have overcome setbacks to conquer an important challenge. So whether it's some sort of adversity, some sort of challenge, there are some days where I'm like, yes, I got it, totally crushed the day. And then there's some days where I definitely need to check myself, check my headspace, what's going on, what's my self-talk like, maybe uh, get an opinion from wise counsel, trusted friend. So that's one that some days I'm great at and some days I'm not so great at, so I need to find that consistency there. So work in progress. No one's going to be the most grittiest ever. And if you are, your pants are on fire because you're a liar, liar. So <laughs> maybe you need to check your grit scale. <laughs> you know oh, you wanted to say check it check again. <laughs> it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't rhyme. I know. Lord help it. So the chapter then will go into talking about um, your direction, uh, your philosophy. Because when you answer these questions on the grit scale, you're going to want to know, like, apply them to your goals and the direction you're headed. So you can't really apply them if you don't know where you're going. Uh, So it talks about that grit is working on something that you care so much about that, again, you're willing to stick with it just like we finished talking about in the previous chapter. So we're going to say the timeline again. So she gave her TED Talk, Angela Duckworth gave her TED Talk in 2013. This book came out in 2016, and here we are in 2019 discussing it. So in 2013, during her TED Talk, she left off with, that's kind of all we know so far. And on the other end of the TED Talk was Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seahawks. 
So he was on the other end of this TED Talk yelling through the TV, like, we do this stuff, we do this kind of stuff. So he got in contact with Angela Duckworth, flew her out to Seahawk Camp, and she has this whole long research in here about what happened. Right, and just, if you don't know who the Seahawks are, they're an NFL professional football team. Right, and so the way I know that who's going to win on football games would be who has the better uniforms. So I root for the Seahawks a lot of the times because they usually have spectacular uniforms. Them, Oregon State, the Panthers, just to name some. You like the bright contrast with the dollar. I know, I just... Lisa Frank was my 90s <laughs> life, so anytime a sports team is like, yeah, lime green, I'm like, yes, I'm here for it. So, How cool would it be <laughs> if a football team had, you know, Lisa Frank-inspired jerseys? Oh my goodness, someone, there's an artist out there, you're listening to this right now, please send us uniforms that... Like, it's a Seahawk, but it's a Lisa Frank Seahawk. How hilarious would that be? Yeah. Oh, dreams come true, y'all. Do they? Yes, yes. they do. <laughs> Someone, please, for the love of God, email us, wittyandgrittypodcast at gmail.com. Find us. Send us these lovely images. We'll right. be our hero. So your life philosophy might be... <laughs> <laughs> Whoever Neons has the best uniforms. And cute cartoon animals. Uh, I mean, look good, play good, feel good. Yeah. Just saying. Well, hang that on your mirror, y'all. Oh, y'all. All right, so once you have a philosophy, now it gets into talking about a goal hierarchy, which said simpler is prioritizing your goals and getting them organized and what goals um, kind of go together. And then in a sequence, what goals do you need to achieve before you can achieve other goals that you have? Because um, they build off of each other. Right, so Pete Carroll, Carroll, when he was talking to Angela Duckworth about all this, he talked about there's top-level goals, mid-level goals, and low-level goals. So the top level is, what's the dream, uh, the direction I'm trying to go in, like you were talking about earlier, Farron, and then the mid-level goals, those are the baby steps to get there, and then even smaller than that are the low-level goals. And I like how it talks about when you're kind of trying to rate your goals, to ask yourself why. If the answer is just because, then you know that you've gotten to the top of your hierarchy. Um, and then, I right. don't... So, for example, if the, that's how you know you got to the top level, like you were saying. So, okay, why do I want to do a good job? Okay, because it may help others. Okay, why do you want to help others? Because it's the right thing to do. Okay, why is it the right thing to do? Because God wants us to do the right thing and further the kingdom. Why? Why? Oh, just because. That's what it is. Okay, so that's your top level goal. Further the kingdom. How? By helping others. How? By showing up and doing your job. So that just worked it up from bottom to top, top to bottom. I just talked really fast, so slow me down on your podcast if you need to hear it again. I like when you get excited. I, uh, yeah. Passionate. (laughs) Yes. Power of passion and perseverance preaching so yeah there's another anecdote in this goal hierarchy and it's a pitcher and it's tom sieber he is a hall of famer he retired in 87 at the age of 42 he compiled 311 wins um, over 3600 strikeouts 
lots of shutouts, all that good stuff, baseball jargon here, there. And then um, he was actually received the highest ever percentage of votes, 98.8% to get in. So he only did things that reached the top-level goal. So his top-level goal, uh, pitching brought him joy. So if all the way from the top of, I want to pitch well, it brings me joy. Okay, how do I pitch well? I need to make sure... One of his mid-level goals was, I need to make sure my arm is rested. Okay, and then low-level, how do I rest my arm? Do everything with my opposite hand. Whether that was eating, taking out the trash, brushing his teeth. Everything he did was the opposite hand so that he could rest his shoulder, so that he could pitch, so that he could bring joy to himself and others. So that's intense. (laughs) Right, and that's what the book says. They say, you know, this might seem extreme, but you could rephrase that as a, a focus focusing obsessively um which I don't know if that sounds much better but (laughs) (laughs) it's just again the intentionality that you have are your actions throughout the day and the week helping you down the path to the success you want to see right everyone wants to be successful but not everyone wants to try there was was it a Seahawk player I don't remember but he was um like yeah everybody maybe it wasn't Seahawk but he's like, everybody wants to win a Super Bowl. Nobody wants to win a Super Bowl in preseason. Mm-hmm. And so it's just mic drop. Oh, okay, so every practice you should be thinking about, okay, Super Bowl championship, Super Bowl state, all that, whatever your goal is, that needs to be the constant underlying drive. Right, you can't wait until the playoffs to decide our goal is to win the Super Bowl. It starts so much earlier. Yes, you see it with in everywhere, whether it's your job, like, oh, I have a report due. I'm not going to, that requires a lot of effort and time, and I wait to the last minute. Like, that's not going to work. They're going to see right through that, just like, you're not going to win the game. Everybody wants to win, but not everyone wants to work at 5 Mm a.m. So determining your higher level goal, your highest level goal is important, but it's also important to figure out what your mid and low level goals are. Um, In the book, they referred to having high goals but no supporting goals as positive fantasizing yes because you're not bridging the gap from where you are to where you want to be um so you're living in this state of fantasy of someday it'd be nice it'd be cool Mm -hmm. if later i'll do and it sounds Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. these are your starbucks um date discussions yes and then you guys leave starbucks and maybe not ever actually do anything mm-hmm. someone needs to hear this if it's not written down or planned out for you it's not it's less likely going to happen slash not going to happen you know who you are if it's just not going to happen don't put it on the back burner set a timer on your phone do something anything to actually schedule time failure to plan is planning to fail yes again repeat that you're all the time for you people uh, and also for me as well i'm not exempt to this <laughs> Um, they do talk about having multiple goals and we'll get into this a little bit more here in a second. You don't want to have too many goals, right? Right. You can't, there's only so much time and energy, but I like that the author does stop and give permission here to have a goal for your personal life and your professional life. Um, that especially helps with the trendy feeling of mom guilt. So, you know, if you have goals as a as a mom, a wife, a parent, and then also having professional goals as well. And I really do have to say that 
I feel like more and more men have um, a sense of wanting to do and have goals in their own households. Yes. I'm not saying dad guilt doesn't exist. Right. So even if you're not a mom, this can still apply for uh, sure. to you. Well, and yes, like she said, she's Angela Duck- Duckworth specifically has a career goal hierarchy and a mom goal hierarchy. So it's not that you have to have one or the other, but you can have both. Or if you're prioritizing with your relationship with God. Like if that's your hierarchy goal, you can put that over your work or your mom. So think about your mom goal, not your mom. And if you aren't a mom, your personal goal might be your health and fitness. And then you still also have a a business or professional goal. Right. Everybody's goals are going to look different. Even if, so Farron, if me and you had the same high-level goal or top-level goal, our mid-level and low-level will look different because we're not the same people. Mm -hmm. Like, being the best mom I can be, is if we both have that goal, it's going to look totally different depending on how our household works, what our kids' personalities are like, what their needs are like, what our work schedule's like. And you might have strengths that are my weakness, so they're not on your goal hierarchy because you're already doing them, and vice versa. I agree. Great point to make there right so don't get discouraged if you know someone who has similar goal hierarchies but y'all are doing two different things y'all are two different people so it's going to look very different before we move on to i do like that it points out the importance of having unified aligned and coordinating goals again just the organization and does this lower level goal really help me get to the next mid-level goal and then on to your high level? Um, you, time is so valuable. You don't want to be trying to accomplish a goal that's not really going to get you to where you want to be. Right. That's a good point. So if that low level goal is not really circling back, it's irrelevant. That might be a fun thing later if you have time or if your goals change or shift. But in that moment, does this serve me? No. Moving on. The chapter concludes with um, a snippet about IQ versus achievement. Um, A Stanford psychologist named Catherine Cox uh, is the one that did all the research on um, IQ and its impact on who was going to be most successful. And she, I don't want to ruin the end of the movie for you, but she found that IQ mattered very little in distinguishing the most from the least accomplished. Right, so passion and perseverance are better indicators for those that will be more imminent. All right, chapter five, grit grows. So this one talks about nature and nurture and how we can do better with grit. Oh yes, the big debate. Is it nature, meaning is your success determined on your Uh, genetics and makeup and what you've received um, with your genes not talking about the genes from Levi's but uh, what you're born with by all uh, your bio makeup there you go help me with the word biological makeup thank you too many syllables can't do it I'll work on it Um, get gritty Karen (laughs) be in the spelling bee oh well I'm out on that can I use Siri yes absolutely so again, nature, is it your genetics versus nurture? Is it the environment you were raised in? Where you, did you grow up on the right side of the tracks? Did you have the experience that um, peers your age had? 
I feel like we wrote a million papers in college about nature versus nurture, and it all boils down to the same answer. It's both. (laughs) Yes, that's why I get so irritated when people get to polar opposite arguments on these. Um, They like to pull out like very specific situations, um, and I think there's a lot of generalities. Say it. Generalities. There we Generality. go. Generalities. See, it's my Generalizations. turn. Generalizations. Yes. It's my turn to mess up the words this episode. Finally, it's not my turn. Thank goodness. <sighs> IQ doesn't matter. <laughs> Living proof, everybody. See, I just keep trying to use big words, and um, someday I'll learn. All right. So I wanted to pull a quote from the book. It says... Likewise, traits like honesty and generosity, and yes, grit, are genetically influenced and, in addition, influenced by experience. Ditto for IQ, extroversion, enjoying the great outdoors, having a sweet tooth, the likelihood that you'll end up a chain smoker, your risk of getting skin cancer, and really any other trait you can think of. Nature matters, and so does nurture. Boom. Right. Mic drop. So, just make sure you know that you mature over time, you learn to dust yourself off and grow, your life experiences do change your personality because you gain wisdom. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So yeah, you do. You are born with certain things, but you certainly can grow and learn. It reminds me of the commercials they have out nowadays where it's like, first kid, and shows the mom like being <laughs> obnoxious. And then it's like, kid three, and it's a bit grungier. Yeah, she puts just a handful of Cheerios in her pocket. Oh, I mean... It's true. It's true. That's why it sells lots of diapers. Is it loves? It's a loves commercial or love something. Love speaks to my soul. <laughs> I recently switched to loves. Not me personally. Yeah. My tiny human. I think we buy a different box every time we go because we can't ever remember what we get. It's fine. It's all fine. Sooner or later, they're going to learn how to not have to need those. That's the goal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Stick with it. You got to get gritty, mom. Potty train these kids. Oh, that's a whole nother episode. Oh, yeah, for real. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, as you mentioned earlier, Brooke, you were saying that, you know, some of what um, helps us grow grit or impacts us is our circumstances. And I know a lot of strong people that have gone through um, tough times. And I'll say, man, I just, you're so strong. I don't know how you do it. And their answer has always been, I don't have a choice but to be strong. Right. And so I like in the book, it talks about um, a novelist named John Irving. And he talks about to do anything really well, you have to overextend yourself. Um, So our circumstances are what changes. And then we rise to that occasion. Obviously, you have a choice. Um, But sometimes the necessity to change or is the mother of adaptation, meaning when you don't have a choice but to grow and get stronger and be better because of what's going on in your life, um, you're going to adapt and grow. Right. It's that sink or swim mentality. And everyone's been in that situation where, well, I'm either going to have to pull myself out of this somehow or down I go. Yeah. And a lot of times you can find out that you're not as gritty as you want to be so whenever that happens, because that's happened to everybody, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was going to quit on myself. That shocked me. You've got to get to the root of why that happened. 
And that will help you build from there. And sometimes you shock yourself the other way of like, I can't believe I was able to do that. I surprised myself. And that wraps up the last chapter, chapter five, in this section of the book. Um, There's still so much information in these chapters. Again, as always, we encourage you to get your own copy and read because you're going to pick up on things that speak more to you and where you're at. Um, But the chapters we discussed today, chapter one was showing up, chapter two was distracted by talent, chapter three, effort counts twice, is referring to twice as much as talent does, Uh, chapter four was the grit scale and how gritty are you, and then we just wrapped up chapter five, which was grit grows. Right, so that concludes part one, what is grit, why does it matter? Next week, we're going to go over part two, growing grit from the inside out. We're going to talk about interest, which is chapter six. Chapter seven is practice. Chapter eight is purpose. And chapter nine is hope. So we'll see you next week. Tune in. Thanks for listening to the Witty and Gritty podcast. Join us at wittyandgritty.blog, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our blog, and listen to more episodes. We're here to help you become your best self with a community that cares.